Welcome to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. Every week, she's bringing inspiring guests to help you embrace motherhood the cool mom way. Emily knows firsthand being a mom is hard AF, but she's passionate that doesn't need to be the end of the story. Shift your perspective on what it means to be a mom while learning practical tips and mom hacks you can use right away. Stay you while nailing the mom game. That's what being a cool mom is all about. Class is now in session. Here's your host, Emily Kylo. Hello, gorgeous goddesses. Welcome back to the Cool Mom 101 podcast. I'm your host, Emily Kylo, back at you with another fire podcast episode. So before we get into that, I wanted to quickly talk to you about the exciting things that are going on at Cool Mom 101 HQ. So if you're listening to this near February, I want to let you know that I have only one spot left in Cool Business Academy for this month. So if you want to start this month and you're ready to get that six-figure business and you are ready for a serious upgrade in your life, then now is the time. So make sure if you want to do it now, there's only one spot left. So act fast. And another exciting thing I wanted to share is that I am creating a four-week course called Confidence Crush. I'm so, so excited about this. It's everything I've learned and everything that's worked well for my clients about confidence in all areas of your life. So each week we go through a different area, like we go through self-confidence, we go through confidence in money, confidence in your business or career, and confidence in relationships. So I'm giving you all the tools and the meditations and the journaling prompts so that it's really going to open up that confidence for you and give you that ultimate glow up you are looking for. So make sure you stay tuned for that. That will be launching next month. So I'm so, so excited to bring you that. Okay, let's get into episode 57. So I'm joined by trainer Tannis, and she is a life and nutrition coach who's giving women permission to take their power back. So I'd like to give a little trigger warning for this episode as well, we do discuss uh, domestic abuse in this episode. So today's lessons include why modeling love is the most beautiful gift you can give your children, teaching her son to label and adapt to his emotions and supporting him to express them in a healthy way. We chat how to find your optimal fitness and nutrition and why one size does not fit all the interplay of your gut health, shame, stress levels, and food, and how they all affect your body composition. We touch on self-care and how it's so key for moms and why depletion really serves nobody. We talk her intuition-based formula for creating magical mornings, and those really keep her away from having another to-do list, because who needs that, ladies? And lastly, we talk about recovering from domestic abuse and her journey through that experience. So this episode was very, very eye-opening for me, and I'm just so, so grateful for Tannis and her, first of all, knowledge, and also so grateful for her vulnerability in sharing her experience, because I think the more we talk about these things, as especially as women the less these things linger in the shadows. And that is just the last thing I want for anyone. And I want to let you know 
that we've included some resources in the show notes. So if you are struggling with domestic abuse, I want you to know I see you, I hear you, and you are not alone. And also, I just love you. And I love all of you. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. I got so much value out of it. So I think you're all going to love this powerful and very impactful episode. So let's get to it. Here's episode 57 with Trainer Tannis. So welcome to the show, Tannis. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So we are going to jump right on into the mom fashions. Are you ready? (laughs) I like that. Yeah. (laughs) What's the best part of being a mom? The best part, I would say, is the love but not in a sense of like, you kind of, you expect the love of your child and that type of love as a mom, but I don't, like for me anyway, I didn't expect the self-love that came with it. You know, like right after I gave birth, I was like, holy shit, I could do anything. You know, like I felt like I just had so much more respect and like a genuine love for my body in a way that I didn't have before. And I believe fully that I wouldn't have gotten that to that place. Maybe I would have later on in life, but I don't think I would have gotten to that place of that just genuine self-love for my body and everything it was capable of without having gone through birth, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. I had a very amazing birth experience and I would echo a lot of the same sentiments as what you just said. So yeah, I'm with you. Mm. And it was really, I felt like superwoman. I was like, yeah, please. You think I can't literally take over the world if I wanted to? I can <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I know. And it was like, I I went like all natural, like remembered everything. People say you forget. Well, like I didn't forget. <laughs> and I just remember being just a changed person and just like, man, like I, like my body can do anything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just broke through so many barriers and that unconditional love that transcended into motherhood from like mom and child, it also really like, you know, the child was born, but also the mother was born. Like I was a different person. And then that love was just for myself was even greater after that. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I love that. I too (laughs) had a fully unmedicated birth. I had a home birth. It was like six hours long. And yes, I do. Like, I remember the whole thing. (laughs) Like I was there. (laughs) I was Mm -hmm. in it. (laughs) And I really loved the whole experience. And I'm definitely not someone to say like, that's the way you should do it at fucking all. I think whatever you feel the most comfortable doing is what you should do. But I just really didn't know that birth could be that way. So that Mm -hmm. was really, really cool for me. Yeah. I didn't have that planned whatsoever. Like it just happened that way. And same thing. I think whether you have a C-section, whether you have a surrogate, whether you have a, you know, whatever it is, like you're still birthing a baby and you're becoming a mother. So, and you know, sometimes I'm sure when I was in the moment, I'm like <laughs> wishing for the drugs, but <laughs> we made it through and yeah. yeah, and it was all worth it. And here you are. <laughs> yeah. So flipping the switch a bit, what is the hardest lesson you've learned so far as a mom? For me, it was that I didn't have to listen to all the noise, you know, like really trusting in that mother's intuition that was being not even like developed. That was just instinctual. Like it was there all along, but I ignored it a lot. And that was when I felt the most guilty as a mom is when I did ignore it. And then I'd remind myself like, Hey, like, no, like this is your 
thing. Like this is your experience. You know your baby better than anybody. And just learning to take the unsolicited advice and all the well-meaning advice, taking it, smile and nod, taking it if you if it works for you, great, leave what doesn't. And just always checking back in with myself and tuning back in. And the hardest lesson for me to learn was to trust myself more. And to know that it, you know, like it's, yes, they might have more experience or maybe they had three kids or maybe they have five kids, but you're, they're not the mother of your kid. So, and once I got over that, I was, yeah, it was so much better. (laughs) So much better. That is so So freaking powerful. I love that. One of my words for 2021 is trust actually, (laughs) because I think it is so powerful and for me to keep it top of mind, but in motherhood, especially, oh my God, like what you're saying is if anyone takes anything from this episode, I think that's huge (laughs) because Mm -hmm. you're so right. You are literally the only person who has been through the experience experiences you've been through who've led you to that point of being that specific child's mother in this on this earth. So it's like you are literally the person who knows best at all times. <laughs> For sure. And I mean, take, you know, believe whatever you believe in, everybody's entitled to their beliefs. But like if you do believe that your that soul of that baby chose you and you hold on to that belief in some way, shape, or form, it helps settle settle you down. And you know that, you know, you are the mother for a reason. And, you know, whether you believe in all that or not, I think just having, you know, the thought of that, it really relaxes you into it a little bit more. And, you know, that's your baby, like you grew it or, you know, that's you. So Mm -hmm. you're the one mothering Mm -hmm. him, nobody else. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What is your daily ritual? So I love to ask this question because I interview mostly entrepreneurs who are also moms. And I hear that for most of them, their ritual is something that really keeps them grounded. So I love to hear what people are up to in their ritual. How much time do you have? (laughs) I know mine is so long, (laughs) but yeah, we got time. Go for it. Seriously, uh, when I like my partner now, he still is like, what is all this? Because it's just, I'm like married to it. I'm not rigid with it, but I have so much respect for my daily rituals because of just what you said. Like it grounds me and like just for me to connect to myself is the, the first, like highest priority on the list every single day. So by all means, people do not have to start with this. Like I, even like my own clients, I tell them to build up to whatever capacity, you know, you're willing to invest into it. But I actually like, I wake up between four and five in the morning, five days a week. And I like before everybody else in the house and I have like two hours to myself and it does come at a price because, you know, you go to bed a little bit earlier and, you know, it's, it's something that I fought for a long time as well. Like I wanted to be somebody who could, you know, got the like 9 p.m. energy burst. You know how some people say they do better like at nighttime because it's so quiet, whatever. Well, I'm like that in the morning. So I need that morning time to myself. And it's just what I've learned about myself over the years. But it's pretty routine. I wake up. It's very quiet. I turn on the kettle. I have some hot water with lemon and some Himalayan sea salt. And I sip on that. I go to my desk. I light a candle. It's very serene. Um, But then I pick from my menu. I have something called a morning menu and I just tune into what I think I need or what my, you know, myself is telling me I need to can, whatever I need to do to connect to myself. 
and ground myself and prepare for the day, I just follow that. And some mornings it's getting up and actually going to the gym right away at five o'clock so I can come home at you know six and then still have an hour to myself. And then other mornings it's diving right into like personal development or whatever you want to call it. I have a, med- a meditation practice. I have that is on the list. Sometimes I need to go right into that to start off because I'm, if I'm, especially if I wake up and I'm just like not feeling super connected to myself and I need to find my presence again, I'll just do a quick morning meditation and then go into it. But my mornings, 100%, they always result in some sort of journaling. So some mornings I also wake up and another thing on the menu is free writing and journaling, but I'll have these crazy vivid dreams Mm. and I have to write them out because I'll forget them by 7am. So I just do some free writing and try to like interpret them a little bit or whatever. And then other mornings I just go right to, I have these um, morning and evening mindset cleanses that I actually created. And I took little pieces from other books that I've bought in over the years, like the five minute journal, some like goal setting books, gratitude lists, thank you lists. And I basically just combined it into everything that I needed to have one journal that I didn't have four journals on the go and I could just have like a one-stop shop. So I'll do that. And it just has like a, just a check-in little reminders. There's a gratitude portion of it and super quick, but might take 10 minutes. And then depending on how I'm feeling after that, I might do another 20 minute free write. I typically tend to get the most clarity and inspiration in the morning. So again, sometimes I wish it was different and I got it later on during the day or at night or something. But for me, it's just, I feel like all the downloads that I'm getting about my life happen in the morning. So I write and I journal. And another thing is sometimes if I'm studying a subject that's really interesting, I just want to dive right right back into the book. So, and then usually throughout the reading, I'll get some sort of inspiration for work or for a client I'm working with or something, then I'll go to writing. So usually all paths lead to journaling in some way, shape or form, but I'm not rigid about what I do first. Um, I used to do it like that. And then I just found that it ended up being like another to-do list. And for me, I feel like I don't need another to-do list. <laughs> no, honey, you, know? you do not. <laughs> no. Yes, I wanted to make it more um, intuition based and just following what I need in that moment and start with that. And, and I just choose from the menu and yeah, and then get on with my day. Mm, I love yeah. it. And mm. I do something a lot more similar now too, where I think I used to, and for the same reason you mentioned, I stopped <laughs> doing it so rigidly because then it was feeling like something I'm just like, got to check this off, got to check this off. And that Mm. kind of takes away for me a lot of the purpose behind something like meditation or journaling, right? It's not supposed to be something you breeze through just so you can say you did it. (laughs) Like That's not exactly there. So I Mm -hmm. love that tip for anyone listening. You don't have to be so rigid is the perfect word for it. And it's not Mm -hmm. to say you don't want to be committed to your rituals. That's different um, because it sounds like you are very committed to them, but you're not rigid about them. And it's not like you're a avoiding something that you know is going to be good for you because I know some people have that a bit of tendency too. you're not doing that we're not saying that <laughs> but finding kind of what works for you intuitively is so so beneficial because then it just it starts your day off like you kind of touched on being able to tap into yourself and listen to your voice and what's going on <laughs> not just things mm-hmm. coming at you <laughs> exactly and I found that when I would 
you know, try to do it at another time of the day. It just, it was more of a to-do list. So I just, I don't remember when this was exactly in my life, but I've been doing this type of, you know, journaling basically since I was in high school because it helped me so much. It was so therapeutic. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew I needed to write. And so it's always been something that's been a part of my, I guess, daily rituals before I knew about personal development and all that. But I just, I cannot wake up and go. You know, I have to connect with myself exactly like what you just said. And when I'm connected to myself, then I just, I'm, I can give back, you know, like I can give and wear all those hats and do all those roles that I have to be with ease and just with more clarity and, and even more presence because I've devoted that to myself. And, and now it's like, you got something to give instead of just being depleted all the time. Mm, Amen to that. (laughs) Really nothing good is coming from a depleted woman. That's for sure. (laughs) Especially a depleted mom. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to get more into that. <laughs> yeah. What are you most grateful for in your life right now? Um, this is probably going to sound really cheesy, but I'm just lately, I'm just really grateful for my relationship. Not just lately, I mean, from the beginning, but just especially, especially lately, it's just something that I think I've worked really hard for and, and worked hard to really believe that I'm worthy of it and I deserve it and that, you know, men like this do exist and, um, and that healthy relationships are, you know, like it's so like detrimental to your well-being to make sure that you are not only being fulfilled, but you're also serving in your relationship in an equal playing field. And I think that type of love, like, you know, we're talking about love for our kids, but, you know, love for our spouses, our kids are modeling that. Their first example of what a relationship is, is is you as the parent. So the fact that I, I just love that I can model that for the kids. And, and yeah, I'm just, I'm really grateful for it lately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is so important. I think sometimes people, I don't want to say they gloss over it, but when you really stop and think about it, aside from work, and that's super important to find fulfilling work, but you spend so much time and they're always in your energetic field, your partner, Mm. typically, right? When you live together. So if that relationship is something that's really draining you or isn't feeling great and isn't fulfilling, then your energy just is like, it just keeps dropping because you're constantly around this person. It's hard. It's hard to stay like above it. (laughs) So it's so, Mm -hmm. so important. Yeah. And that's, you know, relationships can be very draining. And I've been in relationships like that in the past. and, And I just remember feeling like, like, you know, what you see about good relationships is fake, you know? And I thought that, and I genuinely used to think like, you know, years ago that people who had healthy relationships and were grateful for their partner. And I thought that was fake. Cause I was like, well, you can't really be that happy all the time. Like I didn't quite understand it. And yes, it was an age thing and just growing up and getting to know myself and understanding my own, you know, values and what I wanted and, and stuff like that. But it's, it's the most important relationship, especially if you have kids, because again, like I said, your kids are going to grow up with that programming into their subconscious about relationships in all forms, you know? So I think if you can model love, I think that's the most beautiful gift you can give your kids. 
Mm-hmm. I so agree with that. That's really beautiful. <laughs> so last one of this opening segment here. This one gets a little deep, so okay. get ready for it. <laughs> what is your why for your life? So what gets you up in the morning doing all your amazing goddess rituals and really serving the clients and women that you serve and supporting your family and your partner the way you do and always trying to be a better version of tennis? Like what is your why? My why, it's kind of two-folded, I guess, but I can really stay awake at night just thinking of how crazy it is to be a woman nowadays. And I, and it's such a whirlwind of emotions because I feel like very empowered, like, yes, like we're doing something, like shit's changing and, you know, women aren't as suppressed as they used to be. And, you know, like we're setting a new tone for the future and for the future generations, like any woman now, you know, that's not living in the past and, and not living in her suppression and trying to actively do something about it, you know, is changing, is changing the future. That being said, we have so long to go and it, you know, like I, my own grandma, for example, like she told me this story a couple years ago and it just like sticks on the top of my mind all the time. Like she was a widow at like age 40 or something. Her, my grandpa died at 45 and she was a widow, but she couldn't get a bank account. So like this wasn't a hundred years ago. This was 30 years ago or maybe 40. I could be getting the timelines wrong, but she's like 70 now. And then, yeah, so this was 30 years ago. Not that long ago is the point. Not that, (laughs) exactly. Not that long ago. And I remember just being so shocked and then angry and then, you know, really sad. And it just, for me to be in the position that I'm in with the experiences that I've had and also raising three boys, I really want to see in my lifetime, girls growing up just knowing their value, knowing their worth, having self-esteem, confidence. And because I feel like if I, if that was ingrained in me from a young girl, I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have gotten into the situations I was in probably. And then I think like, you know, maybe that's why that happened because I can change things now and move forward and share my story and help use it to fuel, you know, the, the light of the next generation and try to help you know, myself and other women just break through this suppression that we experience every day. And it's really awesome to see women, you know, just really step into that power. But I really think it's only scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. And especially raising boys, it's interesting because I want them, I do think boys have, we do have to teach boys too. Like we can't just be all like rah, rah, girls, like let's teach our girls this because then there's no matter what, there's always going to be an imbalance, you know, like you have a son as well. So like, I'm sure you understand, like we have to teach boys that they're valuable too, and they don't need to overexert their dominance or their power that's, you know, ingrained in their personal, you know, childhood or adolescence and in the system as it's running today, they don't have to use their ego and use that potential dominance factor to get their way. You know, like they can use the same tools that we teach women, be firm, you know, express yourself, don't suppress yourself, like go after what you want and, you know, everything that we're teaching these girls. I think we also have to teach boys the same thing and, and really allow them to understand women and girls in a different way in order to, I think that's, that's my opinion on how to, how the change will take place. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm with you there. And I think there's just a lot of work to be done. And you touched on it a little bit. But for me, there's a lot of work to be done with creating a world where women are free to stand in their feminine power and are honored as like cyclical beings and are honored for our type of strength that we bring to the table. So I don't think mm-hmm. that we've really honored women in that way. You can start to see it a bit now, but I feel like it's not quite there because we've been really showing women, which is all beautiful, but we've been really showing women like kick ass, take names, like take no prisoners, which is awesome. And I would love to see women come to a place where similar to what you're saying, you don't have to like lean on being in your masculine energy all the time. Like you can Mm -hmm. be in that feminine energy and still be strong and powerful in your own way. Totally. Yeah. I think it goes for boys and girls. Like we have masculine and feminine energy in all of us and girls have gotten away, not gotten away, but we've almost been conditioned to just you know, in order to succeed, you need to drop your feminine traits and be more masculine. But that doesn't always necessarily fulfill that woman. And, you know, it's not sustainable. You Absolutely. Know? So. Yeah. And I'm sure you've seen this with clients. And like, I've definitely seen it with mine, too. It's that's when women can get into burnout. And mm-hmm. they're wondering why they're like, well, I'm this boss bitch and doing all these things. And that's all great. And I think there's still a way to do it from the feminine energy more. And then thinking about raising boys, it does, it brings up so much for me because I, my son is two, but I have already started to, of course, think about this. And you Mm -hmm. see it in little ways where, so they, I was reading some research about how up until around, I think the age of my son, we tend to treat boys almost more similar to girls. Like we'll be okay with them crying, you know, we'll just comfort them, but they start to get a little older. And this is a, I'm talking about a small boy of like two and a half, three years old. They already stop comforting him, tell him to suck it up, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So what message are we sending talking about raising boys? Mm -hmm. Like, and we wonder why so many of the men that we come across have trouble expressing emotions in a relationship, for example, when we're adults. (laughs) It's like, well, we haven't allowed them (laughs) to. Yeah, I know. I think about that all the time. And like, I'm a very like, I don't know how you'd classify it, but I guess it'd be more like positive parenting where I try to lean into the emotion and give him the language. So like my son, you know, he's four and a half. It's different with the older ones because they, you know, hormones and and whatever, but... You know, that little thing. Yeah, it's a little bit harder. But the four and a half year old, it's like he gets so frustrated and I and I'll just sit there with him. And I know it really works for him is like giving him the tools as to how to acknowledge the feeling of it. So he has that identification because, you know, we do use language to identify right? So as human beings, so when he's frustrated, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. And I try to get him like, where do you feel it in your body? What is the, you know, what are you feeling? Is it anger? Is it sadness? Is it this? And I just, I found that over the last, especially the last year, helping him just with that, where he can be like, I'm so frustrated. <laughs> and it's like, okay. And then he instantly almost feels better because he's had that like certainty of himself, of like, this is how I'm feeling. And he can also express it in a way that it's getting across. Like, imagine how frustrating it is to be a one-year-old where you can't really talk yet and you have all these emotions still, right? And you're just like, you're, you know, 
you can't, you, and you're both, both the parents and the kids like, oh, you're okay. Like, what do you need? What do you want? And there's no language there. So you just go by intuition and body language and all of that. And sometimes sign language, depending on, you know, the situation. But yeah, I think giving boys the tools, like giving them the language to mm-hmm. be able to, and even my son now, he's, he'll ask me, he's like, what do I do with it? Mm, like I'm, so he's, mom, I'm feeling angry. Now what? Basically, yeah. He'll just be like, what? and it, obviously it's not that calm. He doesn't have the regulation. No. But he knows now that it can, he can do something with it that he doesn't have to hold it in. So I'll, I'll tell him, like, he draws angrily, like, on a, you know, piece of paper, like, in circles, 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 and different colors. And he'll pull out all the colors he thinks are angry colors. And he'll do that. Or he'll punch a pillow. And I know there's some controversy around that, but whatever. And, (laughs) or he's even like screamed into a pillow. And those three things right now at his age, he, it's like he's taking his control back and expressing it in a a healthy way that's not hurting himself or anybody else while he learns to Mm self-regulate. So young still. That's Mm -hmm. really, really helpful though, I think. I mean, even for me, because this is just starting where Leo's getting to the age where, I mean, I say it anyway. I don't know how much of it is sinking in, but I do (laughs) say the things like, I really, I see you're very, it seems like you're frustrated. Like, is that what you're feeling? Mm. And you know that eventually, well, I have faith, eventually I'll get to kind of more where you're at, where he is able to specifically identify the emotions. So I think that's huge. And it seems so simple. And maybe for some women, it it is simple because we've never been told not to feel things, for example. But for a lot of boys growing up, I think that they were told to suck it up, move on, and like don't be a pussy, basically, which is a whole other conversation. But anyway, um, yeah. I think that's so with the example of that you're giving, what you're doing is you're really saying, like you said, being able to identify what the emotion is, but also you're telling him it's okay to feel that completely. Like it's totally fine to feel that emotion, which is huge. Exactly. And I think even for myself, like I think it's important to understand your own emotions, you know, that that's even, I'm still working on that. So if I, as an adult, I'm still learning what those emotions are that have been, you know, um, I, I learned a lot about trauma the last couple of years, but, you know, just how that lives in your body. And if that's in my body and unexpressed for however many years, maybe since I was his age, like what kind of man is he going to be 30 years from now if at four he's learned that that expression doesn't have to live within your body and it can be released, but in a healthy way? That's kind of like my motive behind it of, you know, a world, even if it's just his little world or whatever of, you know, adults who can just say like, you know what, what you said really made me frustrated instead of, yeah. you know, the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Instead of re- resorting to something that's not a healthy way. And it's mm-hmm. crazy because this is where, so I'll just share, I think I've started talking about this on social media, but anyways, I started to focus on emotional eating. So I don't know if that's something you work with your clients on, but I realize that I still do that quite a bit. <laughs> like, cause I've recovered from an eating disorder, but I was like, I'm still kind of like using that. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting at 33 to realize <laughs> that like I am using that. And maybe that's not the best way for me to be able to soothe my own emotions. So you're so right. Mm. Like it's wild to think that 
I at 33, a decently evolved human being, <laughs> still have work to do around what works for me with expressing my emotions and soothing them. That's not something that is potentially detrimental to my health. And at other times in my life, it was probably more things like alcohol or I don't even know what, other things. But now I still was seeing some remnants of that behavior with emotional eating. Anyways, it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. It is. And that's pretty much exactly what I do with my clients because what would be what just came up for me when I was listening to you talk about it is I wonder if you could be able to identify the first time where you found comfort in that Mm -hmm. and going back and that's usually if you can trace it back like I don't like to spend too much time in the past but usually if you think about it there's a moment where that food soothed you, like how you were saying. And then it just created this subconscious programming of, and the other aspect of it, which is why, um, you know, food addiction and um, I just call them diet disorders because it's a whole umbrella. It's a of, spectrum of probably too, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. Yes. And then underneath this, you know, it's just, there's a whole bunch of different avenues within that, but you know, you can really, when people are going through that, it's usually a symptom of something else, right? So um, if you can trace it back, then you can usually uncover something that maybe you blocked out or something that like, you know, you said when later on in life, it might've, might've been alcohol or something else. And just something that you real that was your way of coping. Mm-hmm. And really like all of us, we have coping strategies because life can be really hard and it, you know, we have these different things that we can do in private. Um, and food is such an interesting one because you have to eat. Yes. So it's hard. It, that, for that reason, it's really challenging because you do have to eat to live and sustain every healthy part of your body. You know, every single cell in your body needs protein. Um, you need to stay hydrated. It all is so in sync and so intricate that your body needs nutrients to survive. We all know that. But food because it can be comforting because it does release certain chemicals in your brain when you eat it or when you have that trigger that trauma response to a certain food then it's releasing all the you know dopamine and and oxytocin which is a bonding agent or chemical in your brain and it's sending signals to your stomach and to your even to your heart to your body of like I want more I want more I need more of that it's like taking a drug Mm-hmm. So it's like with anything else, you really have to work on yourself and get very in tune and be able to get curious without being judgmental. Mm, totally. Totally. It's yeah, it's interesting, too, because it is such a uh, it's such a process. And for me, it's wild because I, I did it didn't even click that that's what it was. <laughs> like I was like, oh, wait a minute, I don't know what made it finally click that I'm like, okay, I still have a little more work to do here because like, this is not how I want to deal with emotions. Like I don't want to deal with emotions that way. To me, that doesn't feel good or healthy. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, "Mm -mm, no, not doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And in my line of work too, I'll get people who are like, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I sometimes cope with food, but it's better than doing drugs or it's better than drinking or it's better than, you know, this. And it's such a fine line because it's like, yes, in a way, 
but at the same time, you're just transferring one obsession or addiction or whatever it is. Um, you're just transferring it to the next one without actually doing the work. And no matter what, and say you do heal that, what's the next one going to be? You know, is it going to be addicted to negative thinking or using gossiping to help with that, you know, the, that oxytocin and all the, you know, that rush that you need to get that you were getting from the food. And then, and, you know, there's so many different things you got to think about, but it is really interesting for sure to check yourself and, and be like, whoa, I'm literally eating right now for no reason or because no I'm sad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. So I'd love for yeah. you to, you kind of touched on it now a little bit, but could you tell us what exactly your business is and how it kind of started. Yeah. So um, I guess by title, I'm a life and health coach, but underneath the surface of that, I'm more of an educator and women's health advocate and women's health or women's empowerment advocate above all of that. Um, I have a workshop and I have clients that I work with um, and it's a full program that I put them through um, and we help reverse diet disorders and heal self-image anxiety and even self-sabotaging cycles, a lot of the stuff we were just talking about um, and help educate them and teach them how to sustain their healthiest body weight and and be confident in that and like and walk like powerfully confident um, with those results and then ultimately free up their time so that they can do whatever it is they're here to do. Like women are not here to be counting calories, you know, <laughs> like we, we have so much more purpose in our lives. And I can't tell you how many women that I talk to are like, uh, they think they have this idea that when they lose the 20 pounds or when they lose the baby weight or when they, you know, have their dream body, that everything else in their life is going to fall into place. Exactly. No, it never happens that way. And I know that, you know that, like, and even they know that, but we get caught up in it because of things, you know, I love social media. It's how I've been able to have a business, but you know, it has its negatives to it. We're caught in this, you know, Instagram world and Photoshop world and filter world. And, and people have this expectation that, or women have this expectation from, you know, I think just years and years. And I know my first um, entry into this was like Cosmo magazine. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. I remember that, yeah. Meg. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember reading the covers and they had these really skinny models and it was like um, 1200 calorie diets or whatever. And I was God. like, and now we have this programmed in us that like, oh, I'm just going to eat less and I'm going to weigh less. And I know, and anybody that actually is in this industry, if you understand the way that your body works, your metabolism work, your hormones work, even you know your gut health connected to your mental health and everything we were kind of just talking about before, the guilt associated with it, the shame that you carry, all of that has to do with your overall body composition. And it you actually, it's the opposite effect. Like you have to eat enough to support optimal functioning within your body in order to lose weight because your body just won't shed that weight. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it's probably the most like impactful work I've ever done and something the most I'm the most proud of since becoming a mom. And yeah, and I actually have a background in personal training and nutrition coaching. So I actually still do that. 
And mm. I launched my program in the last last January, but I just have like my lifers. So I have a handful of clients that I still see and we just do it on Zoom. And so I still do that on the side as well. But the workshop and this work that I put together um, is really my, my other baby. Your baby. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always say too. <laughs> yeah. So Tannis, I would love for you to kind of walk us through your journey with body image, because I know that that's a big reason why you got into this work too. So could mm-hmm. you tell us about your journey and kind of what you had to go through and the mindset shifts you had to achieve to get where you are today? Yeah, it's, I think this is exactly what I was meant to do from the beginning. Like if I trace it back to being five years old, I watched my mom do aerobics in our living room and she was on like every single diet. Like I could like counting the points and rice cakes and the cabbage soup diet. Like I still know what day you can have bananas on that diet. And like, (laughs) it doesn't even make sense now knowing what I don't know, but I grew up thinking that, and I should say her weight fluctuated by like 50 pounds all the time. Like really? Really? Oh yeah. So she was like yo-yo dieting essentially. Yes. She's a definition of a yo-yo dieter. And also just even the mindset stuff associated with it. Like she wasn't happy dieting and she wasn't happy not dieting. Not dieting. Yeah. Like she would have a little bit of a grace period, but then she gained all the weight back and then it was back to, so I just, I remember at a very young age, like, and I was, I played a lot of sports and i you know, I never really wanted to be super skinny or anything. I wanted to feel good and feel strong. But I remember the pressure from like 11 years old that like, well, girls don't eat. Like, I don't even know where I got that from. But I don't know, maybe it was Cosmo. I don't know. But I just remember. Probably many of those places, probably what your mom was doing, probably literally Cosmo. And then all your friends, like it's the societal pressure. And you would have heard constant messages of you're better when you're thinner is essentially the narrative that we were spoon fed constantly. constantly. So yeah, like your worth is tied up in you being skinny. So the more worthy you want to be, the skinnier you better be is I think what we were kind of shown. <laughs> exactly. And I even remember you know, boys in high school that we were friends with, they would like make fun of some of the girls who weren't super skinny. And, and I would, I remember certain times like thinking like, oh, like, I don't think that looks bad. And then, and then it gets into you, you know, over time and with everything, you know, from a young age. And then, like you said, with societal pressures, I really struggled with body image dysmorphia and really trying to figure out my body. I don't feel like I got the right information. Nobody taught me anything in school. You know, like I just think there's a there was a huge white space of education in women. And I remember hearing this study a while ago. I was in my early 20s and it was, I could be totally butchering this, but it was like women spend 40 to 60% of their thought on what they consume and what oh, they look like. No. And it's like, it just shook me because I'm like, what would we be doing if we weren't constantly consumed with what we looked like? And then I also thought like, how come it's so hard to get the right information when boys are like, just eat more and you'll look better. You'll gain more muscle and like go to the gym and you'll be fine. But we don't tell women like, if you eat more and you strength train, you'll actually get 
an overall better physique and you'll be happier with it and you'll feel better and you probably won't struggle with anxiety as much as you are because you're moving your body. Oh, and it's very good for your bones in case anyone cared about that too. Yeah, not to mention your internal organs yeah. and you know your yeah. heart, yeah, your lungs, all that kind of stuff. The stuff that really keeps you alive. You know, but it's just, it was so interesting to me. And then I actually did a bodybuilding competition when I was like 21 or something. And that was really fun. But then, and that was when I was doing personal training and really getting into the health and fitness world. But I really saw how much disordered eating was literally glorified. Oh, um, so like, glorified. It's, and I was only on the periphery of this because I don't know if you recall this, but I used to work at Reflex and I never did a competition or anything like that, but I was like I was in that world. We forgot about that. I know. It's like another You used lifetime. to make my food for me. I did when you were probably yeah. eating like two tablespoons of rice, brown rice, <laughs> and thinking that was too many carbs for you. So oh I had gosh. a very, yeah, I had a similar and I was just on the periphery of it. And I was like, this is now looking back like this is absolutely nuts. Like I, that's where, no wonder it's still, I still have to work on the belief that carbs are good for me. Like I still have to work on it because of that, because I was like sitting there thinking I could only eat chicken breast and broccoli. Yeah. Which is insane because even, yeah, I I could talk about this all day. Like we'd need like five other shows, but (laughs) your whole body needs different nutrients. You know, it needs different, especially micronutrients. You have to switch up your vegetables, your fruits. It's a reason why certain fruits are in season at a certain time. And we live in this consumerism world and yeah, I mean, we have more luxuries, but we really do need so much more than what we're told. And on the topic of carbs, like some people do really well on like keto diets and fasting. You can't really ignore that. Some people do. I personally don't know a woman who has sustained it and felt amazing doing it long term. And I don't know all the research behind it. I'm not a doctor, but like I, I know for me, when I am eating more carbs, I'm leaner, I feel better, I have more energy and my mind, like my mental focus is like 10 out of 10, along with other things, you know, like sleep and hydration, blah, 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 blah. But if we're talking about the diets, it's like you really do, there's a reason why we have them. And as long as you don't have any food sensitivities to them, you know, they're, sure, they're a very important part of your diet, especially if you are exercising because mm-hmm. they act, you know, like carbs and protein, if you illustrate it for you in your mind, like the carbs almost act like a broom to sweep Mm. the protein into your muscles after a workout. And if you don't have that, you're really missing out on, on lean muscle mass. You're really missing out on your, your own recovery because you don't have those carbs to help you with, you know, the, getting the protein back into your blood and back into your muscles and back, you know, replenishing like all the glycogen and your, you know, your liver and all these other aspects that carbohydrates help you do. And you really need that for recovery. Mm, I love this visual you just gave me. So I always <laughs> learn so many new things. I love it. And yeah, for me, just personal experience as someone who has literally done every stupid fucking diet you've ever heard of, <laughs> I felt like shit anytime I was doing something lower carb. And I, I've done it to the extreme as in like I've done keto before. And yeah, I felt like shit. And the mind was the biggest one. Like I just, I felt like I wasn't quite all there. Mm -hmm. Why would I want to feel like I'm not all there? 
Why don't I just mm-hmm. eat a fucking sweet potato <laughs> and move on with my life? And call it a day. <laughs> and call it a day. Anyway. You know, yeah, especially for women, because I've been studying pretty intensively, you know, period cycles and menstruation, just because working with so many women, it was just that kind of that missing piece that uh, I knew was playing a big role in my energy input and output. And like, if you're still having a period, you need, in my opinion, you need carbs in your diet. And especially if you do get in tune, like for anyone listening, if they are wondering and they like if they're getting a regular period and they're not tracking it, but then they're wondering why they're like a psychopath for 10, seven to 10 days. And they're like, oh, and then they get their period and like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, you can track it and you can actually manipulate food in order to not have those side effects like right after ovulation, right before your period. And one of the you know biggest components of that is making sure you're increasing your carbohydrate intake during that time so that you aren't as irritable, so that you are sleeping better, so that you don't have those energy crashes. And even that alone, I find women experience way less PMS symptoms and just more energy and they don't have that monthly, like what's going on with me. And and they're like questioning, you know, everything they're doing. And I did that workout two weeks ago and I had so much energy and I did the same thing. And I'm just like so tired after, like if you can manipulate your energy output and you'll actually have an an overall better experience. Mm -hmm. I love this because I have really been getting back into this. It was something I think I kind of ignored for a bit. I used to be very interested in this, in the cycle, but maybe it's probably because then I was pregnant. And so then you just Mm -hmm. stop for a while. And then after I got my period back so fast and then Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, give me an IUD. Like I cannot get pregnant again type of thing. (laughs) So I was on the past year and a half. I was on a had a little bit of hormones in it, IUD, and it made my period stop. And then over the past few months, I was like, I don't like this because I do like to be able to track it. I like to know like what's going on. And the way I hear people who are experts talk about it too really resonates with me. It's almost a report card for how well you're treating your body. And so you just touched on a lot of things, but if you're pushing too hard, well, then you Mm -hmm. might get some more PMS symptoms that month. If you Mm -hmm. aren't staying hydrated, you might like experience more cramping, et cetera, whatever it is. So it really kind of shows you how are you treating your body? Anyways, so now I've been getting really back into it. And it's so fascinating because even for me now already, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just a little more tired right now. Great. Maybe I won't do my like intense workout and it's funny you mentioned the carbs because I have been eating like extra carbs. <laughs> I've, I just can tell I need it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the phase I'm in. I'm like, no, I actually need it. I, I do. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's science. Like it's not just necessarily a woo-woo, you know, intuition thing. Like there's actual science supporting all of this and why, you know, like you just said, your, your menstrual cycle is like a report card and it can help tell you a lot about your, your health and, and, and even like how in tune you are with your body. Like I, um, after my period came back, my, I feel bad for you getting it back so quick because I didn't get mine back for 14 months. It was a bit rude. And I was was full-time breastfeeding. Yeah. That sounds like, you know, too much. (laughs) Just seemed weird. Anyway. Yeah. But once I got mine back, I started tracking it because I really didn't want to be on birth control because I was on birth control for 10 years. And then I went off of it and I just didn't get a period. I got a period like twice in four years. And then I randomly got pregnant 
And, and I was even told like, you know, and I was so young at the time and I was even told by my doctor, like you probably won't, you know, once the time comes, you might want to look into other ways of conceiving. Like really? it was just one of, yeah. And I was only 23 years old. Wow. And so it was just like, okay, but I didn't care then because at the time I, was, I didn't even know if I wanted kids. But so it was like, okay, you know, out of sight, out of mind, but I, and I wasn't getting a period. I didn't really know everything I know now. And my body, you know, it it wasn't, didn't have the, the, um, the side effects, like the energetic side effects. Like I could work, I worked at Cactus. It's like a bartender. I'd work till like two in the morning and then I would get up at 5am for personal training clients and just get a coffee and go. And then I would work until, you know, like nine or 11, depending on the day. And then I'd go back to cactus at night. Like I just, you know, I was young and I had all this energy and I think pregnancy really helped me so much because it forced me to slow down. Mm -hmm. It reset my whole body. It's reset all of my hormones and obviously threw them off for a little bit. (laughs) But then once my body regulated at the 14th month or yeah, after or postpartum, I was like, I don't want to fuck it up again. No. So I've been like very religious about tracking it and it's really worked for me to the point where I can feel when I'm ovulating. Like, yeah, that's what I used to be like, because before I got pregnant, my cycle was 28 days on the dot too. So Mm. it was just like, I knew, I knew exactly before I got pregnant, I had a non-hormonal IUD. So I still got my period like normal every 28 days. And yeah, I had the same type of sensation and it just, it's really, really beautiful. And I know people listening, if you haven't got into this yet, you might think this is weird, (laughs) but it is really beautiful to understand it and understand that there are weeks or days where you do want to slow down because that's when your body needs a little more rest. And then there's other days. The, the flip side is there's days mm-hmm. I know that I'm going to probably have like extra superwoman energy. So I'll schedule certain things like around those times. So it's like, it's powerful. You just, you just got to use it to your advantage. Exactly. And knowledge really is power when it comes to that. Because yeah, when you know you're going to have way more energy, you schedule more things. And then it's even like we were talking about our rituals at the beginning, if there's a time during that phase right before I'm getting my period. And I'm just like, I just really need an extra hour of sleep. Like I don't go to the gym. I don't work out. I take the dog for a walk and said, and I love, like (laughs) my boyfriend laughs at me all the time because he's like, you're the only person I know who will be tired and want to take a nap and then go to the gym instead. Cause it just, for me, it does give me energy and it makes me feel better. Especially like, you know, if I've had a really long day with clients and then at like three o'clock, I'm like, I'm either having a nap or I'm, you know, getting a second wind here and I'll go to the gym. But during that week leading up to my period, I really honor my body and exactly where it's at. There's no pushing it. It's just tuning inwards, taking, you know, maybe doing some yoga, doing only strength training, no high intensity, uh, just really switching it up. And, and I still exercise. I'm still, I still move my body because our bodies are designed to move. And I know it's exactly what I need. But I'm not, I'm not forcing anything. I'm just honoring, you know, movement. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think every woman, if you can, you should start tracking it. And like you were mentioning, just tune in. And if it 
and like give yourself that grace that mm-hmm. trust me it's not gonna affect your like fitness goals if for two days you don't do your hit workout or whatever it's actually the opposite and this is the other part in like my workshop that we have to really educate women on because we have it like again exercise more lose more weight but that's not how it works because your body actually goes to work when it's repairing, when it's resting. And if you're never resting, sleep is a huge thing too. But like, if you're never in a rested state, you, you're living with elevated cortisol levels. You're not going to lose that extra weight. You're not, your body's not going to be burning all the calories that you want it to. It's not even going to be functioning optimally because you're living in with so much cortisol that hasn't been, you know, released from the system. So you actually need the rest in order to get closer to your goals. It's not going to get you farther away from them. There you go. But that is a mindset thing (laughs) that I think people, it's like you said, education, but then also I think a lot of times you need to work on that mindset around it too and not think that, yeah, you're screwed because you didn't do your high intensity for 30 days in a row or whatever it is. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. It, yeah, it is. It's breaking conditions and programming and and patterns and belief systems that aren't even real. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So kind of a different topic that I wanted to ask you about that you and I had kind of talked about ourselves before this was I wanted to hear, so we're really switching gears here, but I wanted to Mm -hmm. hear about uh, your experience as a domestic abuse survivor. So what that experience was like for you. And uh, we've talked about this before the episode, but I think it's something that's so important to have amazing women like you talk about because the more we are able to talk about it, the more it becomes non-judgmental, not a thing to be you know, ashamed of or any of those types of emotions. So I would just, yeah, really be grateful to hear about your experience. Yeah, I, I'm definitely at a place of talking about it more just because I think... I wish I had somebody to talk to about it that was like, yeah, I went through that. And it wasn't my fault and it wasn't yours either. Um, But there, just like you said, there's so much shame on the woman when it comes to that. There's actually even a lot of blame on the woman, which is really unfair. But yeah, it's something that more women go through than we think, which I found really interesting, you know, over the years of really leaning into it a bit more and trying to understand like not only like how did this happen to me but you know like it's not like it is in the movies you know it's not like I mean I'm sure there's some movies where it is more higher class and you know or wealthier people or just normal people and not like for example you know people just drinking at a bar and it going too far you know what I mean it's right yeah like it's behind closed doors, right? It's the charitable man who's the soccer coach and the businessman who's got it all together while he's going home and he's not, he's a different person. And, and it's a woman who's very intelligent and very successful and is very driven. And, you know, she's not this weak, pathetic victim who's just, you know, hiding in her closet all day, like can't deal with life. Like she was a normal person before this happened she, you know, and even if she's like that after it, which I can say, you know, it really broke me down. Um, and I had to really build myself back up, but I was a different person after in that relationship and after it. Um, and the shame of it, 
is something that I think sharing and talking about it is really the only way to go because I don't want that other, you know, young girl, like we were kind of talking about, like you said something like control doesn't mean love. Well, I never heard that when I was 15 or even 23. And it's something that I think it's like just one of those things that we kind of have to learn, but I don't want people to learn the hard way. I don't want women and girls to have to learn the hard way. And if me going through that is something that can be used um, to someone else's benefit, then I think it's important to share and, and start opening up the conversation. Like nobody wants to be a victim, right? I don't, I sure, you know, that's not my, uh, that's not what I'm doing. And I also don't want to point fingers, but what I do want to do is have the conversation of like, Hey, this is happening. And, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's not her fault. Like she, she didn't deserve it. And I, you know, I, I think this was something that I read recently. It was like, And I think I actually shared it on social. This is how we started talking about it. Mm. But it's like every six minutes or something, I'm pretty sure it's every six minutes in Canada, a woman is murdered from domestic violence. Like that's in Canada. Okay. Like this is considered one of the best places in the world to live. And this is happening. So there's obviously so much going on behind closed doors. You know, my mother-in-law, she, she works for the RCMP and like, she's even said that domestic, the domestic violence calls or whatever you call them are up yeah. like 70% since COVID. I know. And I don't want to be somebody who's just talking about the darkness and, and talking about all the negatives, but at the same time, I want to be able to shed some light on it and maybe help in whatever way I can. But I think it's, if we don't, if we are ignoring it, like I was, I was trying for a while to just be like, nope, I don't identify with that. I'm a strong woman. I'm a smart woman. Like I don't identify with that, but it wasn't serving me because ultimately that's what got me to who I am now and where I am today. And I'm raising boys. So I have to be, again, you know, raising boys Mm -hmm. and it's violence against women is an epidemic for a reason because it is happening to more women than we think. And who's doing it. It's, it's men. And this isn't like a man hating, you know, conversation. It's there's like, I have a wonderful partner, like you do too. Like there's so many amazing men out there. It's not about that. It's just about this one subject. And if we can shed some light on it, then maybe not only can the women get help, but the women in the future can understand the red flags and see the signs before they get into something that they can escape from. Mm-hmm. And like we said, I mean, your experience was terrible and you don't want anyone to get to that point. And your experience didn't end in you leaving this world, which is what I want to be really clear about is the reason this is so important too is there's not only the trauma of going through that, but a lot of women don't actually survive. Mm-hmm. That's the end. So it is something that I don't think we talk about enough. And I think it is because there is just a lot of emotions like shame attached to it and blame, like you said, which is just a bit disgusting to me, but it's just the way that society has dealt with it and how there have been a lot of women who are a bit silenced or aren't feeling like they can talk about it. So Mm -hmm. I would love if you could share, and you don't have to get into all of these things, of course, but was there anything for you now looking back where you're like, okay, I think that was a bit of a red flag and something that 
you would advise people not to scare people, but to look for because it is something that is a bit of a red flag in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the control part, but I would say the biggest thing, like if to take away or the, the biggest takeaway I think I got from my experience was really trusting my intuition because I knew something was off. I didn't need the warning. Like, and I, another thing actually I will say, if you're getting multiple text messages from people about your current boyfriend warning you about him, it's probably for a reason and that all of these women aren't crazy, you know? Like I got so many warnings. Really? And, but my issue was I didn't trust myself and I went to him and I asked him, I was like, why is this person saying it? What's your relationship with this person? And he's so quick. They're so good with their words. And, you know, I remember him even crying at one point of like, yes, that happened. And I, you know, I I was a different person back then, but I'm changed now. And it's all because of you. There's all this, like you put you on a pedestal and I know now that that isn't actually healthy and it's a huge red flag because I think you know in your gut when something's a little bit off and if you're trusting someone else's words over yourself, you're walking into a bad spot. And that's with any relationship, like even kind of what we were talking about before with not trusting your mother's or your own intuition and motherhood and you're trusting someone else who has maybe three or however many more kids than you it always comes at a price and that price is your own self-respect. So I think it's something that you should always be paying attention to in every area of your life. Mm. That is so true. And I think for me, and we had talked about this a bit, that I was in a situation where you probably would classify it as domestic abuse, I think, like looking back on it now. And that is what I really noticed looking back as something, which is the control, as something that definitely pointed in that direction. And as I told you, I felt like that level of caring, you know, showed that they truly loved me when in Mm -hmm. reality... That is, whether it's just even control that doesn't lead to anything physical, that's still emotional abuse, right? And I think that's very common that it would go from that type of emotional abuse into the more physical type of abuse. That's kind of patterns that I've definitely seen and read about. So yeah, for me, knowing that control does not mean love in the least was really mm-hmm. huge to understand. For sure. And I've even read as well that it can it, it happens in stages, right? So of course I didn't enter the relationship and then he like hit me right away and then I was still with him. You know, it was like there was a there was a lot of these what they call abuse cycles and there's different mm-hmm. phases of it. So there's the love bombing and then there's the honeymoon phase, which involves like the future faking. But then once they've elevated you so high, they have to knock you down because if their fear, if you like study the psychology of abusive men, their fear is that you are going to figure them out and you are going to leave them. So they have to knock you off that pedestal that they built for you. And then that's when there'll be some sort of abuse there. But then there's the what, what's called the moment of insight after what, well, it could be like a throat, like they'll freeze you out or they'll have some sort of where they blame you for everything. And it was your fault. And if you did something differently, then you wouldn't have had, he wouldn't have had to do that to you. 
and you know it's you know gaslighting and all of that and then but then it starts again and there's this honeymoon phase mm. and then there's a the love bombing the pedestal building the future faking but oh 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 she's getting a little bit maybe too Hi. like yeah or maybe she's standing up for herself and she's like wait a minute like that really hurt my feelings or like why did you say that and then that's when they got to knock you off because you can't you can't stick up for yourself because then you actually might have a you know the strength to to walk away and they can't handle that rejection. So they have to have total control over the situation. So it's really these cycles. And I remember once I understood that these were different cycles, every, the longer you stay in an abusive relationship, <laughs> that abusive part gets more toxic and more toxic. And they there's a term for it. I can't think of it right now, but it's like they test you. Mm. So they see what they can get away with. So wow. the first thing might be just like um, pushing or something like not even oh not just even like a control thing you know? right you like we talked about back. like um, mm-hmm. for example in my relationship it was like uh, you can't wear this or yes. you can't go out here with these people like that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So with that, yeah, something, maybe, yeah, yeah. So they build up to it. It's like a subtle thing that you think like, but everything else is so great. It's just this one area. Mm. And then he's like, okay, got away with that. And then the next thing will happen. And then, you know, they said it was like seven to nine trial run, not trial runs. I'm forgetting the word, but it's, yeah. you know, you get the picture. It's something like that. And then by like the ninth time, so seventh to ninth um, abuse cycle, it's scary. And right. when I look at my experience, it was the fifth. And I like, you know, I went to therapy and I've gone, I've still go to therapy, but I've dealt with a lot of the trauma and the PTSD from it. But the first part of it was really understanding it Mm -hmm. and like, oh, like, you know, like I said, how did this happen to me? Not in a victim way, but like, okay, where can I take responsibility for it? What did I, when did I ignore my intuition? What's the psychology behind it? And for me, that was really healing because I could see that I wasn't the only one. It really brought me out of isolation to know that like, okay, I'm not the only person that this happens to. And, but yeah, if you don't get out, like that statistic I was just sharing, like I, you know, when is it going to be death? And for me, I don't know. It would have been much after that. Right. Because it does, can, I think statistically from what I know, it keeps escalating typically. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. to like we said, the sad, scary part is that eventually a lot of these situations do lead to the woman not making it out of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And the one last thing I wanted to touch on was, um, do you think, and I'm just curious, and it's not not like a blaming the people around you at all situation, but I'm just really curious because you mentioned something in the beginning about how this is so often like very behind closed doors. So was this something that, did you ever share anything with any of your family or friends or did they ever come to you? And I'm talking like close friends and family. Mm -hmm. Did any of that conversation happen or was it really like you were keeping this kind of closed doors and it was would have been so hard for anyone but you to know? Well, it's a little bit of a loaded question because it was both. Right. Um, okay. I had people come to me, like I said, even when they just found out that we were dating, like this guy's bad news. Like I, you know, I'm worried for you this is his past. And I, you know, like I said, I took it to him instead of really doing my own research. Right. Um, Which, you know, you shouldn't believe everything you hear. Okay. But when multiple, multiple women are saying this very similar stories who are very like smart, you know, they're healthy, successful, like 
women, they're not bad girl, you know, there's nothing bad about them, but then I don't know, but I had that, but then I will say that one of the parts with gaslighting is they actually make you believe that you caused it. So that's why it's so isolating because even though, even if I did say some of the facts to like, well, first of all, I should say, I knew if I told anybody, I didn't know how to tell them because I didn't, I couldn't make sense of it myself. Mm -hmm. So it was really hard to have those conversations because I didn't have the language. I wasn't listening to podcasts about domestic violence. Like I didn't have any language to be like, oh yeah, like that, that's love bombing or like that's abuse. That's, you know, whatever. I didn't, I didn't know Like we said, that's controlling behavior. Yeah, right? like and that's I not didn't, loving. Yeah, exactly. So it was part both, and so, you know, my family was really good of like kind of like trying to tell me, but they knew I didn't really know yet, or like I was just something was off a lot. Right. And yeah. then with he isolated me a lot from my friends. He made me believe that like nobody really liked me, and then I started believing it. And so it's it's kind of like a two part, you know position because they, again, like I didn't know this until I went to therapy for it. Like they make you, when I say they, it's just, you know, because this is something it's like a, it's textbook um, or it can be anyway, but they make you believe that you caused it yourself. So you could have done something differently and then this wouldn't have happened to you. So then how would I if I'm being told that I'm the problem and I'm doing this, how am I going to go and tell my friends that I go for lunch with two days later? Like, oh, how's everything going? And I'm like, well, I'm the problem. Well, I messed up really bad and did this. Yeah, it's that makes so much sense. And the reason I was asking was more from the point of view of how can we as a community look out for each other better? Because mm-hmm. I think... For a lot of women, like you said, they're very much like your story is that they don't even know what is happening as it's happening. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe it is a case of if you following your intuition again, say if you are a friend who feels like you have that intuition, maybe you do say what you feel like you need to say. I don't know. But it's like we just have to, um, as much as we can, look out for each other. Yeah. And I think looking back, I I ask myself this question all the time, like what would it have taken to really get it sooner. And I think, and I've even had conversations with many women, you know, about this exact thing in the last couple of years about it and hearing their stories too. And it's like, I think if you are just, if you feel like something's a little bit weird and I would say the number one sign from an outsider is really watching their light fizzle. Mm. You know, even if it is only 50% of the time, the other 50% of the time they're happy there's something going on and they probably don't know how to talk about, but just, I think, you know, like my family did a pretty good job of this. of just not really getting involved too much, but just letting me know like, Hey, is everything okay? Or our one big question that was asked was, are you happy? Mm-hmm. And just being asked that you can be like, cause even if you can't explain what's going on, you know that you're not happy. So then if it was like, no, I'm not. And then it's like, what's going on? And then you can say, like, I don't know how to explain it or whatever, Um, you know, just little questions that aren't Mm. like, you should leave him and you should do this. Because if you do that, then again, you know, like I kind of did that. I put too much, you know, like I said, on, I list, I I went to him because that's kind of what, you know, if you have an issue in your relationship, you keep it in your relationship and you usually ask your partner. But in these types of situations, unfortunately, like that's not the medicine for it. Like you really have to, you know, like just, I think 
as long as they know that you that they are that they are there for you, like the people in you in your life, and that no matter what happens, like they're going to show up for you, it does make it a lot easier. Because I've even had the experience with my own girlfriends where I know they're in such a bad relationship, and this was like years ago, and I actually cut them out because I was like, I can't mm. watch you do this to yourself. Right. And that was wrong. And I've now, you know, me and this, especially this one friend that I had, and like, we've talked about it after since. And I, you know, we just like apologize to each other, but it was like, I shouldn't have done that because she needed me, but I didn't understand it at the time. And then there I was in a very, you know, different situation, but by all means kind of similar. And then, you know, if people were to cut me out, I don't know, I would have survived that because I would have felt even worse. Mm -hmm. And even more alone, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's really, I think that's helpful. And I think even beyond, we're talking specifically about domestic abuse right now, but that I think is actually a very, very useful tip for us all to think about because you don't really know necessarily what people are going through and if they are in your circle and I've totally what you said I've totally seen that like the light is kind of going out Mm -hmm. and so really being able to come from a place of love and bring up that conversation I think that would make the world a much better place if we could all keep doing that (laughs) yeah and I think the other part of it if you have like a girlfriend or somebody in your life or maybe a co-worker or something that you can kind of see that you you know something's a little bit off you're not sure what if you know them enough to know like what's something that really brought back that light and that they love doing invite them to do it Mm. you know and then kind of remind them of who they are that was something my therapist actually taught me because Mm. bringing them back to the light when because they are probably suffering in darkness and they need the help but they don't know how to ask for it so like and I mean therapy is always really helpful as well but yeah if you have somebody in your life I would say that asking them to do if they love painting you know invite them to one of those canvas things or you know even like a spin class or like whatever just something that's you know, easy and, and not like inviting them to lunch to tell them that like, you hate their boyfriend. <laughs> He's terrible. It's like, yeah, they probably know. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this has been so, so amazing. And we've totally gone over time. So sorry about that. So we'll wrap yeah, up okay. here. Um, yeah. Before we go, I just want to really acknowledge you, Tannis, for just being so strong and open and Mm -hmm. vulnerable all at the same time. It's really, really beautiful to see you kind of step into your power and also acknowledge you for all the work you're doing with women because there's such a huge ripple effect when you support women. That's what I truly, truly believe. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is my pleasure. Oh, good. Okay. Lightning round to finish her off. Favorite book. The Four Agreements, but it's very much tied with Becoming Supernatural. That book changed my life. (gasps) Becoming Supernatural. Was this, who wrote this? Joe Dispenza. Okay. So I'm I'm just finished his Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, but I haven't read that one. So I will. Yeah. That one's really good. Okay. He's just awesome in general. (laughs) Favorite, what's your drink of choice? Alcohol or just in general? Either. Oh, well, I only really drink water and coffee. (laughs) <laughs> so I have like coffee in the morning and water, but alcohol, red wine, if mm. I'm going to have a drink, like yep. if I do drink, then that would be 
what I drink. Nice yeah. glass of red into it. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite podcast? Well, obviously this one, of course, but honestly, I don't think I have a favorite. I like mixing it up. I like different voices. I like different opinions, perspectives, but I really much run in like the wellness train. So I listen to like Bulletproof Radio. I listen to um, like Skinny Confidential sometimes if I want something like that. Oprah, just very much personal development. Mm. Yeah. That's why I love podcasts though, because you really can find whatever it is you feel like. Yeah. And just like the morning menu, like podcasts are the same way. Like, what am I feeling this, Yeah, you know, this car ride, what am I going to put on? And I just go with what I feel like. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Love it. And favorite TV show or movie? Friends. Mm. Hands down. (laughs) Yeah. Could watch it any day, anytime. Um, (laughs) And yeah, movies too hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny because I'm more of a like a TV person myself. I prefer like TV shows if I'm going to watch something. Favorite place you've traveled? Tahiti. I'm a beach girl. Yeah. I like quiet beach, tropical waters, cool fish, stuff like that. Yeah. But they have huge spiders there. So it's a huge downfall. I know. That's the downside to a lot of tropical places. Yeah. Like weird, gross critters. (laughs) And they like live in the ground. And you know how like moles, they'll, um, I don't know if you live in a house or condo or anything, but if you have a yard, the moles will come and they dig holes and they leave these mounds of dirt on the side yes. and they like dig a hole in your dirt. Well, these spiders do that there no. and they sit in these holes. And when you walk by, they'll kind of, you'll, they'll kind of come out a bit and it's like, <sighs> so I don't know if I'll actually ever go back because of that, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, nice. now I'm going to have that in my dreams for sure. I'll Sorry. Let, you know, no, it is really beautiful. <laughs> it's very, I mean, I think they have like a four seasons now, but it's, um, yeah, it's a really nice place. Looks mm-hmm. amazing. Okay. So if you could jump on a plane tomorrow, where would you go? I would go to like Spain or Croatia or just somewhere with like a lot of like culture and not Canada. You're going Europe, girl. I love it. Yeah. Go, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Awesome. Okay. Final question. Something that's really, really near and dear to my heart and I love talking about and work with my clients a lot on is confidence. For Mm. me, confidence is really where you start all this stuff. Like if you don't have the confidence for Tannis, you don't go start your business. Like you need that, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'd love to hear from you. What does confidence mean to you? Confidence is really inner peace. You know, I think when you're at peace with yourself, you, you know, you're going to get people who, you know, what they call naysayers or, you know, people who try to keep you safe or keep you comfortable. But I think, and you know, and that's okay. But I think when you're like just at peace with yourself, you're just like, I'm going to go for it. And it can be something as small as like wearing an outfit you wouldn't normally wear, but you don't really care if anybody likes it or if they don't like it, you're wearing it for you or just anything, dancing, starting a business. Whatever it is, I think when you're at peace with yourself, it's such a great feeling. And I think everybody should do whatever they need to do, especially women, moms, do whatever you need to do to find that. And don't give up until you do, because once you do have it, you're like, okay, yeah, like this is when you're in flow and in life and everything just feels a little bit easier. Mm. Yeah. So good. Well, this has been (laughs) so, so amazing. Thank you so, so much. And everyone, make sure you go follow Tannis. The best place to follow you is Instagram, right? Yes. You can go to my Instagram. It's trainer Tannis. 
or my website. I'm actually more interactive on my website. Lots of people come through there. There's application forms and just more about me, but everything is on my Instagram page. So yeah, you can find me there. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. This has been amazing. And we'll all follow along with your journey and get all the great tips that you give. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. If you liked our podcast, please be sure to leave a comment or review and be sure to tune in next time.